You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, this is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. I'm here with Rav Nosanota Gluck from Ashkelon, Eretz Yisrael. And uh, Ashkelon, I think, reads, of course, the Megillah at the same time we do on uh, Yudalid. However, uh, you will be having Purim earlier than us, Rav Nosan. So Purim is fastly approaching. And we, of course, dedicated ourselves to at least uh, handling some of the dramatis personae of the Megillah uh, from a Kabbalistic perspective. Uh, we've dealt with right. Achashverosh, we've dealt with uh, Mordechai. Mordechai? Esther. Yeah, and we dealt with right, Mordechai and Esther, and now we come to the heavy of the story. Although, you know, he's interestingly absent for the last two prokim, I guess, but his sort of his shadow is still there. Um, the uh, And he only shows up... His, really, rotting, his rotting corpse is still there, too, I think. Yeah. Still assuming, hung up on the tree. Right. Assuming along with the, all of his right. kids. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So, so it's right, Haman himself, Haman. So, um, and I would say probably Haman might be the toughest one for us to deal with. I'll tell you why. It's almost like there's so Haman has been done so many times, and Haman has he's the effigy. He's the one that so many have have you know uh, pictured, embodied, um, you know, stuck little pins into, uh, dressed up as. Um, so to actually give us a little bit of a different take, I think might be the most difficult one uh, in terms of, you know, Homan is the one that brings out that 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 anti-energy more, I guess, than the positive energy that Esther and Mordechai bring out. Um, so w- w- give us uh, your perspective here. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you this is this is can be said very briefly because it. I think it should be just taken as a riddle and maybe we'll set the riddle aside and try to talk about some more shot things, but I'd like to just, you know, get the riddle out there and put it on the table so people can, so people can, uh, you know, contemplate, contemplate it a little bit. Okay. Um, Haman, as his name suggests, has something to do with the Otiot um, Sofiot, Mansapach, um, or I don't know. I, I've I've heard said that it should actually be pronounced Min Sofecha, you know, because the they were they were forgotten and then Nevi'im brought them back. So so, you know, the 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 reason why you say them out of order because they're not really in. It's not you know if you're doing it in order, it would be letter cuff first, not last, etc. So so the reason why you do the Mem Nun Sadi Pechaf is because it's Min Sofecha. So this comes some this. These letters come from the Nevi'im. And um, as we all know, these are letters that are used only at the end of words. Only when the letter appears at the, at the end of word is this, is, this, um, is this form used. And there are five of them, all right? And um, they add up to, if when you add them all together, you do the gematria, they add up to 280, which is peresh. And since there are five of them, you always get to add letter hey, so then it comes out to be para, or as in para duma. And then if you add another aleph to that, it comes out to be pur. And Haman himself, his name actually kind of um, refers back to this because 
he, you know, it starts the letter hey, so there's your number five. And, and then he has mem nun. So mem nun is the first two um, letters of min sofecha. And somehow or another, they seem to be kind of special because they, there's a lot of times in, in, in various drashot where it comes out that you have to do a special sweetening, a special softening to these, to these powers of midat adin, the mem nun. As in the you know, tzadi pechaf is kind of like somewhat taken care of already, but we have to pay special attention to the, to the letters mem and nun. Right. And also the letters mem and nun um, refer to the man, you know, which is the stuff that our ancestors ate in the desert. And therefore it also refers to Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the uh, personality through which the man becomes manifested to Bnei Israel. That's, uh, you know, Bishchut Moshe, the, the man, uh, the man came down. And that also means that Haman has something to do, therefore, with Moshe Rabbeinu. So that puts Haman kind of in the character of a Bilam-type, um, you know, magician or something, whose whose powers, you know, kind of reflect, mimic, but are not ultimately equal to the the Nevoah of Moshe. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, okay. But you, you, again, we know Nelson. Obviously, the word "man" is straight into the in his name. Chazal and Chulun, of course, say "Haman minatora minayin," and Chazal quote um, God's ex, uh, God's rhetorical right. question to Adam Arishon: "Haman ha'etz hazeh," right, in, indicating right. that Haman is is connected to the Eitz Hadas, right? And this is uh, right. where I know the Mukubolim speak about. Uh, Amalek is the Oref of Erech Anpin. I mean, that is a, 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 something I heard many, many years ago, how how high up the Shevish of Amalek is. You know, in other words, the Etzadas, of course, is God's uh, territory, and Haman is somehow mm-hmm. connected to the Etzadas, maybe the Nochash Akadmon. I mean, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, from his name that I guess we could extract. Um, but I do find, you know, the connection to Mon, although you're saying it's Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the Susa Mon, the Mon, of course, is Lechem Abirim, right? The, the Mon is really, it's the, it's... Food of heroes. Well, well, let's put it this way. The breakfast of champions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I think Haman is more, you know, I don't know, Haman, yeah, well, I guess there's some connection to uh, some of those those great uh, guys who grace the cereal boxes. I can't see Haman there, you know, that was, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, with Bruce Jenner. Um, but we know that the Torah does say, the Chazal say, well, nitnu Torah ela la'ochle Haman. Uh, right. The Torah is somehow connected to eating mon, right? That eating mon right. uh, puts you in a state where you could absorb Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? If, you, if, right. if, if you are eating normal foods that do what we know normal foods f- happen to make you do, right? The way you absorb the food and how you need to exude the food and how do you have to get it out of your system, you, you can't be there for Torah the same way the Dora Midbar was. The Dora Midbar had like the perfect situation other than the climate, but the man not only gave them food without tircha, it also gave them food in a way where it didn't cause any issues and issues literally. Right? Because basically it just went into their tissues. Any results. Right. No results. It went straight into their tissues, right? And, and it's like the perfect, the perfect food, right? No, right. 
and and it's interesting. That- I mean, you have to you have to wonder about that. Like, what is it? You know, what is it about Mun that that you can actually absorb without a without a residue or without a remainder? You know, sometimes like life is like a division equation. You know, you can you can divide something up, but there's something left over after you, you know, after you after you do the, your division equation, there's a remainder either you know big or little or otherwise and sometimes as in the case of pi for instance you know the cir- the uh, calculation of the of the circle um you always have an infinite remainder that you can simply never get ever get rid of and and there seems to be something in the nature of eating that we cannot okay the way things the way things are in this reality actually completely absorb food and make it make it completely us there's always something that that remains and um and in the month that uh, you know that dynamic was was resolved so um i would like to say by the way since we're talking about you know since we're talking about man and taira and it's actually kind of a riot to the whole to the whole mahalach because immediately before matan taira you know uh, we're attacked by by amalek so amalek has an antagonism to matan taira he's like an antithesis to matan taira and therefore, he's also a kind of antithesis to to Mun. Well, because they had been eat, they just started eating the Mun uh, in that period, mm-hmm. and that's where, which was interesting, because again, you know, Amalek is, you know, Chazal say they were whatever little Torah they had, roughly Yudeim in a Torah. There's definitely some sort of, um, you know, in many ways, we see Amalek and Haman, I guess, as this ultimate mystical villain who who somehow grasps how great we are, how great we can be, how great God is in some ways. Um, I do want to point out something that right before we were recording, I was mentioning to you in, in this regard, <laughs> that Haman actually, right before, I guess, I guess less than 24 hours before he is put up on the uh, eight to die from exposure, he gets a taste of <laughs> what the mun ultimate <laughs> disgrace yes right in other words the, the mun is like anti-fecal material right and he gets actually um you know he actually gets the psoilus on his all over mm-hmm. himself as um as uh edith ann used to say all over his body <laughs> he had to have he had to get really in a way you know i mean he was wiped off but um well, he, you know can i make some comments over here sure we just, I just, you know, because I like, I like to, I like to, you know, I like to bring things down kind of to a tangible sense of, of historicity, okay, and, you know, like so we, so we, you know, we, we I, I listened to this medrash as a child, okay, and, and it seemed like the most, most unrealistic and ridiculous thing that anybody could say, you know, my daughter, there's a girl, she's got a pot full of poo and she's going to throw it on somebody. And like, what the, what the heck is going on over here? But, you know, you have, you know, you step into your time capsule and you go back to the ancient world. Okay. These things are things that could happen all the time. First of all, there were chamber pots, you know, people, you know, didn't have indoor plumbing and we like, we so forget that. We don't know what it's like to live in a, in a, in a, in a universe without indoor plumbing. And you know, so you gotta you gotta go out of your house, out the front door, out into the street, out to out to wherever you know out where where public latrine is. But most people, if you were wealthy, if you were wealthy enough, you didn't do that. You had little pots, you know, pots of poo, you know, hanging around, and and you had the you know chambermaids who or chambermen, whatever, who who came in and and uh, and dealt with that. Okay. Uh, it, in case anybody really wants to know, well, one of the most influential positions in a monarchy was the was the Lord of the Privy Chamber. 
Okay. <laughs> so who's Mamish the King's Mamish the King's, you know, Mishores in his latrine. Okay. Taking care of the chamber pot and actually taking care of the king's hygiene, the hule, the hule. And this, and this was a re- considered a really important influential position because, you know, the guy that could talk to the king while he's taking a squat, that is so, that you have the king's total attention, very vulnerable times. So, so, you know, the king only gave that position to his very, very good friends. So it was a position of extremely high influence. Um, not, not what we would imagine, you know. But anyway... So I mean, the idea, you know, so the idea that that a, a woman who would take a chamber pot, and you know, seeing somebody that she thinks is her father's enemy throw it at him, okay, that is an extremely extremely likely situation, okay. Um, by the way, also you also mentioned that that she killed herself, right? Right. Well, she we didn't mention that, but jumping of course, out the window. She jumps it, right? It's funny. Yeah, you're you're correct. This is it's 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 not that. It's a slice of life. It's a slice of life, man. You know, you just have to you have to appreciate how many, you know, how many people walking down the down the street got chamber pots on their heads, either intentionally or otherwise. Um, uh, sometimes you weren't too weren't too careful about unloading them. Well, I would say just you know you know the the medrash cites here Haman's daughter. Um, we know he talks about his sons, and of course, sons might mean children, but we all know the Aseris B'nei Haman, um, w- w- you know, we have idea of Haman and his 10 wicked sons here, maybe more than that, who knows how many uh, children he fathered, but this, I don't know if there's any other mention of a daughter, and we, of course, have talked about in this year and this discussions that we've had about the connection between parents and daughters, especially husband, uh, fathers and daughters. The Zohar, of course, says that Abba is so right. So, in, in many ways, you know, the you know, as much as he's so he's proud of his sons, uh, his daughter, in a way, represents a closeness and an interconnectative uh, aspect of whatever Haman means. And the fact that she, her death, precedes him, according to Chazal, I think is also important. I think there's a um, you know, there's a, as we all know, I mean, as the morale explains, he says that the, the nikud in the letter, in the word bat, the dogish in the word bat mm-hmm. is the usoid of the father. That's, that's the morale says that whenever you, that's why bat is, has that, has that, it's not a fat, it's bat, because there, that is, the aspect of the father that is, in a way, being expanded and possibly uh, um, extended, and I think you know, mm-hmm. with the death of his daughter, you sort of get a sense of of, of the limit of how Amalek, or at least Haman, has become limited, and perhaps whatever that daughter indicated. Still, well, there, might be, there might be a parallel there. You know, if you like, like once again, Malchus, you know, Malchus the Kedusha is in this is in this situation of complete hastara. Right. That's and and that situation changes just about at this moment. So so if you wanted to say that that Haman is kind of like let's say you know Haman is opposite to Mordechai, right? So Haman has some has some sort of principle of operation whereby something's happening through him, right? So you know so Haman also has the same kind of principle of operation, but the 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 actual thing that determines the nature of reality in which in which people are living is his daughter is you know his his shall we say you know negative of malchus right so that, that she's going to kill herself just as esther is about to reveal herself you know, that's that's an interesting yeah you know, i think no. that's an interesting their hair and quite quite reasonable that Hazal would tell that story at that at that at that juncture 
you know right. you were right. you were wondering as to why she'd be motivated to kill herself right. know, is it guilt is right. it is it you know or again kabbalistically one could it? say is what you're saying is that as Haman, you know as whatever like you say Haman's rep whatever he represents as he's falling um you know she does the real fall she actually it's almost like malchus and the you know what i'm saying Haman's fall yeah well, because well, 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 comes and I feel, you know, so right. so you know, if Esther Esther is returning, so Haman's daughter falls, and so, and, and and Mordechai is soon to rise, and Haman falls a little bit later. You know, one of the things that you know I always tell people, you know, especially when they are trying to think of Purim um, costumes, people have told me that they've that they've um, walked around with nooses. You know, as if the noose was around Haman's neck, and they've actually done these effigies with the figure in the noose. I always tell them that's not how Haman died. Haman did not die with a, a, his broken neck. People say like they hung him, like they, you know, like you see the hangings. Haman was put on a tree and died from exposure. It was fifty amos high, and if you put someone up there and you crucify them, basically we call it crucifying because, but that's basically what it is. You put the person up there, and when a person is up there and he basically starves to death uh, and dies of exposure, that's how Haman dies. There's no proof that it's it's right. It, it's not misas chenek, no, right? It doesn't except right? I mean for for Haman's for Haman's sons, they're killed first and then they're right. hung. First of all, they're dead before they're put on the tree. But right. Haman actually on the tree. Right, Haman dies. Haman dies because he's lot, he, because because he's up there, right? And I think this is kabbalistically important as well. I mean, I think it's machshava or kabbalistically important, especially as we're talking here about the symbolism. His daughter, who represents, in my mind, the extension or the possibility of the esod of whatever Haman stands for, which is in a way a development of how falls. But let's he, say the the result the result in the world of Haman's operation, you know. Like right, it's Haman's daughter. That's why she's involved with Tsoya and other stuff like that as well, because she represents right the antiman, anti antiman. You know exactly. That's my point. Antinomian. You know she's she's antinomian. Yes, yes. We're in good we're in good form today, and 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 therefore, um, Haman actually dies by being risen up. In other words, right? right, Haman is actually. Right, right. Haman is actually much higher than his kisei ever was. Right, the kisei that 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 Achashverosh lifts him up to, he actually ends up at a very high perch, right? And, and Haman mm-hmm. is actually the one who dreams of this idea. Again, again, you you think about Haman's capabilities. You know, we talk about the Eitzadas, and part of the idea of the Eitzadas, we know as Rashi says in Chumash. Based on what the, what the Nachash says, Vayisim Kelohim Yodeya Tevera, right? So what is right that you are able to, in a way, be Borei Olamos, right? Now, what, is, what does that mean, mm-hmm. right? So as you know, we have studied together about this by our one of our mutual teachers, who explained this that this is really the the, the imaginatory capacity to actually think about possibilities beyond this is what was beyond you know Odom and Chava didn't have that beforehand but they could but once you can um, fantasize of possibilities that somehow are antinomian or whatever that is really in a way a, a byproduct of the, the Eitz Hadas Haman is the great 
thinker about possibilities, right? He is the, right, when Achashverosh asks him at, at that key juncture, you know, what to do, you know, <laughs> he has it perfect, right? He knows exactly how COVID works, right? He, he, he gets mm-hmm. it down to the, to the smallest detail, of the horse, right? The horse and the lavush. The whole fantasy about what he wants, yeah. Right, and that is the perfect fantasy of what is lapsus of Malchus means, right? Of what Kovod and Malchus, he's got it, right? And, and you would think Achashverosh, with, with all his power and everything that he sees around him, no, but Haman can supply that, that idea. Haman supplies that fantasy, that Eitzadas type mm-hmm. of, uh, I, 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 which is really a gift that humanity has through the Eitzadas, which is to fantasize, to contemplate uh, this possibility, which Achashverosh makes true. And now Mordechai lives that fantasy. You know, Mordechai lives the fantasy that Haman has really been Matsayer for him. So I think there are... Yeah. Well, right? there, I, I think there's a lot and, of... And well, let me just take it one step further. There's a big amkus on, on that particular point, which is... I, Okay, but anyway, please go. Okay, just one, just one. And, and he sure. is the one who conceives of the idea of how he's going to kill Mordechai. In other words, the idea of a 50 Amos, 50 Amos, right? 50 that, Amos? That's pretty tall. That is, right, what are you talking about? You're talking about, like, 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 that is gigantic in terms of that period, right? And this isn't just, yeah. oh, right? We're going to hang right? That's a they, pretty tall piece of wood you know, right, on, on, and, in, in any period. <laughs> right. And Chazal sort of say, where did you get such a piece of wood? It must have been from the, it must have been from Noah's Teva, right? That's what Chazal say. That's, mm-hmm. That it was, it was a piece of Noah's Teva that somehow they were able to, uh, I don't know how, but they were somehow able to pick up Haman's children, were somehow able to get it and bring it. And it was being fashioned and cut, right? Um, and, and and cut this cut to to be the right proportion, but it comes from the 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 idea that they got it from the table. That's really a that's really a chazal. Right. Yes. And it and it comes mm-hmm. from it comes from this oilum this this like this prehistorical oilum, right? It comes from the oilum from the before diluvian. Yes, before the period, before the Noahide period, right? The period of Odomarisha, the period mm-hmm. of, of, of the original inhabitants of the planet, the uh, the Oilamatohu people who were here, right? That's where they got this. And this is the conception that Haman has of how you put someone to death, right? You put someone to death, this is what we're going to do to Mordechai. And that, of course, you know, he ends up, of course, uh, uh, fulfilling his, he dies with his own as a product of his own imagination. So, and, and, it's, and again, the, the irony of course is, is that he's raised higher than everything, which is, you know, which is in a way, you know, his histalkus is again, vis-a-vis the way his daughter dies. It's interesting, like he's, he dies up there. He dies up there, which is, um, which I think, and again, and, and, and Esther, as you've pointed out, Sort of glorifies this eight, right? Because she says we got to put his other. We got somehow Kabbalista. You got to put whatever those klipas are tmeos. They got to be up there too, right? They got to. They've got to hang right. there. And 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 Chazal have a lot of fun figuring out how all the bodies fit and how tall they were and how many amas and and and, and, and right. I mean, Chazal loved to think about the the you know the, the mathematics that went into hanging all the bodies up, all the ten right, all the ten people. Yeah. In, in a way that it would make sense. So, you know, I, I think this well, is, there's clearly, yeah, clearly there's a lot to unpack and, and you have m- much more. I'm just throwing stuff out at you that, that, that are really, it's really startling if you think about it. 
Yes, it's really it's really starting. I, the Kumarna Rebbe has actually a whole shtickle on on Yasta Um you know, and he 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 actually begins with the, with with a chat question like, what is this actually? You know, he, his his wife gives him this fantastic etza. You know, you you can't stand looking at Mordechai anymore. You see him, he doesn't move. You hate him. You're full of rage. He's you know you don't sleep at night. You're not you're not going to enjoy the party. You know, instead of just saying you know, go go get you know go get some hitman to blow his head off, you no. Know, Make a tree fifty amot high, and and ask the king for permission to hang him on the tree. For what? For what really? How, like how does how does the fifty amot tree help you know help help Haman in any way other than other than to make some sort of publicity out of it? But you know Haman's to some extent Haman actually wants to hide the fact that he hates Mordechai so much. You know it's of Okay, you know like okay, so I'm. I'm if if more if Haman lets on how bothered he is by Mordechai, by Mordechai's failure to to or choice not to acknowledge him, okay, so that looks petty, that looks stupid. I don't, more, you know, Haman's not willing to go right. out there. Right. Right. Okay. It also he, seems... so he's he's willing to concoct kill all the Yehudim, okay, so that bichlalam I can get rid of this one Yehudi. That seems to be so let's kill them all. You know, Haman doesn't didn't necessarily have the originally have the idea of killing them all, right? But so now, instead of you know, instead of um, hiding your hate for Mordechai, instead of you know, try get getting rid of him in a quiet way, you're going to get rid of him in a super gigantic public way. That's exactly, you know, it's exactly at odds with his purposes. So, so you know, say so what's the deal with the with the Eitz Hamishimama? You know, people are going to see that. Right. People are going to know that you have a petty hatred for this for this one little for this one little guy who ticks you off because he won't kiss your you know your you know backside, right? So, so the, basically, I mean, the commander starts with the idea that that Haman was a great was a great machashev. Okay, he was, he was he was he was a great wizard, and therefore the etz hamishim amma is supposed to actually destroy Mordechai spiritually, even before it kills him physically. Because once again, Mordechai's madrega is this madrega of Moshe Rabbeinu, of the of the or of the das of Moshe Rabbeinu, the das alien, okay, which um, which comes from the fiftieth uh, shar of Bina, right? And Haman is going to create his own fiftieth shar of Bina, which is kind of like a, a parallel to the to the to Moshe's one, right? And then by by taking you know by taking uh, Mordechai and nailing nailing him, I guess, to to the top of of that system of Nunshari Bina, that's going to be the thing that utterly destroys him. Because he's taken Mordechai, and instead of allowing Mordechai to exist within his own spiritual, social, you know, um, emotional element, he's going to completely nail him into Haman's worldview. On that, on that eight, Sadas, okay? And that's where, and that's where Mordechai is going to have to, going to have to give up the ghost. Okay. So that's, that's Haman's, Machshava. It's like it's like to create a parallel system to the to, to the Das de Kedusha and then nail nail Mordechai on that. And Haman is apparently sophisticated enough in these sorts of matters, at least at least in magic, if not in spirituality, that you know to know how to do this, and for the idea the idea to be vastly appealing to him. 
Okay, and I, I think that you have to say this even on the Pshat level. I think this is, you know, this is the, this is the Kamar Rebbe cutting very close to what Muhammad was probably thinking in a, in a real world situation. You know, otherwise why do it? And and you know, and we incidentally, the fact that Haman believes in magic is is pretty clear also, because because he he uses the poor to That's determine right, right, the right. the date. Okay, and so but if you if you think about it, you know, once you realize what the gematria of Peresh is, all right. And and um, and that it's you know that it equals the the five letters mincefecha, okay. And the five letters mincefecha connect you back to nun sharebina, and the and the and, and the chamishim ama. So everything really you know the poor the chamishim the chamishim sharebina the the eight gavaya chamishim ama all the all this numerological stuff, you know comes comes into a certain kind of focus that you that you wouldn't you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and you know this this idea of paradinim, you know, you get this a lot. This comes out. This comes out in paraduma. You know, this comes out in uh, this comes out over here, of course. And um, I don't know. You know, it's just it's just one of those one of those ideas that are so that are so ubiquitous that I can't even think of any any yeah, more well, examples. But look, you know, I, I think you know, in, you know, in a conversation that we once had, you talked to me about the difference between. You know that magic is not spirituality, right? That although it, yeah, it, it, here it's this con- begs the question: What's the difference? Because because by the way, you know you can have Mordechai as spirituality, and Haman is the opposite of spirituality, which would mean total materiality. Now, if it's, if he's a complete materialist, okay, if I don't take a sword and chop his head off, he's you know what have I done? But apparently, even within a completely materialistic paradigm, you can have something called magic that operates. Which is interesting. So, like, so, okay, so, so, if you're willing to believe in magic, why aren't you, why aren't you willing to believe in ruchnius? You know, and what, and and what's the difference? So, please, anyway, carry on. I just had to. No, say no, that. no, no, no. And I, and I think that it's a big we, kasha for me. Yeah, I, I think when you know, obviously, uh, you know, the belief in there are things here that we don't see, but we know exist and we know influence us. I mean, clearly, you know, that is what a molek has been operating in according to Chazal. Chazal talk about Amalek's attack uh, by So Chazal say that what that means is, is that they attacked the weakest, but what they also did was they they cut their orlas off, right? They 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 cut the brismilas off and they threw the clape right. mila, right? Now Okay, so you know you would think you're 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 in a war here, like, and here you are stopping and throwing the genitals of your enemies up towards God, right? Um, obviously that is uh, an attack on a physical. Obviously, it's a it's 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 a, as always been, and we know the Amalek of the 20th century zeroed in on this, of course, as well as the ultimate simon, right? Like that the the circumcised Jew is the ultimate, you know, devil, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 being mm-hmm. circumcised, people, people in the ancient world hated it also. Yes. Greeks and Romans, in particular, they thought they thought it was really utterly disgusting, and right. and uh, and Egyptians had some had some amount of circumcision right. going. And we know that's uh, as well by the Hashemanoia, yeah. but I'm saying it's always it, it, it's not just a, a a little curiosity about us that we that we are circumcised. The idea of throwing the mila's klape baila, and we know what mila indicates that there is. We do somehow are able to bring down something beyond that. Our physical life is really meant not just to procreate. 
because probably as as the Rambam and others have said, the the happiness in procreation would be a lot more if if you would keep your foreskin. However, um, there is something here where it isn't just you know my biological imperative to have heirs. Is, is, is spurred by this aspect that I want to enjoy myself as much as possible, but rather what I am doing is I am tapping in to a soul that is going to be enclosed in this being that I am going to create. That's part of what brismila means. Brismila means is that, that you aren't just part of the physical world that's just going to keep on putting more progeny and and then leave this earth with the progeny that represents you. But rather what you're doing is actually tied into that the Rabboni Sholems, we are gods. This is the battery pack of God. This is the way we bring souls into this world. Amalek is always fighting a spiritual battle, right? Um, so throwing these milas towards God is saying, you've given us power here we this is what we say to you you know we understand what you want god and we are in a way standing against that we 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 are fighting on the highest level against god's army and we understand what god's gambit is here what god wants and it isn't just you know we are this aggressive you know materialistic ogre-like people that's not what a molek is not according to Chazal, not according definitely according to the Mekubalim, right? When we said, when I said Ayur of Derechanpin, it's almost like, you know, we're talking about holding God hostage to his Gracious own. Goyim. Right. Holding God hostage to his own plan of spiritual Bechira Chavshis, or how everything works, Amalek stands as, like you said, Rashis Goyim, as the ultimate enemy. I mean, again, you can't go beyond. The psukim here. I mean, you know, kesio in a in a shalim So if Haman is this embodiment and Haman is the Asagogi, then obviously what's what, what is what is swirling in his head isn't just isn't just you know I want power and I want people to love me and I just want to control. You're talking about something that is 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 obviously spiritual. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just spiritual, right? I, I think spiritual isn't good enough. I think he's operating at such a high level that just saying, oh, he's a spiritual type of person. No, he, he's not a spiritual type of person. But he believes in this, you might call it a myth if you don't believe in Kabbalah, but he believes in this and he knows that's what, what his purpose is. So I think that's, you know, so that, that's let the me, way. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me, let me, let me throw out something which, which I think is going to be surprising. Um, so. Well, okay, a little a little preamble. I mean, my my read of the of the uh, medrash about cutting off the brisim and throwing them up to God and saying, "Why don't you take what you what you what you want? You like this is what you like here. Have a whole bunch, okay?" Which is basically, you know, what is, it's what they're it's what they're doing. And you know, what Amalek wants to deny here is that there could be anything that is anything more than what it there, there cannot be anything in the universe that is anything more than exactly what it is in the physical sense in other words you know these these people with their bris seem to believe that there's that there's kind of an inner reality in, it. in addition to this simply the external reality of the body or the external reality of this world there is an inner dimension there's an inner there's an inner there's some place that you can go to when you're inside yourself which is higher than the world that you that you see so it's a metaphysical place you access it through some kind of 
you know, pnimius as opposed to as as, as opposed to chitzonius. And the you know, and the, and the idea of bris mila is the is the revelation of your pnimius, which is actually literally what what hastaris arla is. You take away the external skin to reveal the 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 inner skin. And what that does essentially for your entire experience of your body is that your inner self which is also, there's a physical dimension to your inner self, but generally it's not objectively visible. So now in, in, in our bodies, we go, you know, our, our bodies go through some sort of sanctification that we have an inner self as well as an external self. And the inner, and the inner self dovetails with the external body in a, in, a, in a more harmonious way, such that when we have a child, we're having a child both in the, in the, in the external biological sense and also in the, in, in, you know, in the inner ruchniistic Ruchniistic sense. So it's the child that we make is both the child of me and my wife and a child of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, right? But that but that involves kind of having a, a dual vision of Pneumius and, and, and Chitzonius. So what I think that Amalek does not want to accept is that there should be any kind of Pneumius whatsoever. Now, I don't know why that would be a positive thing, okay? Although I do understand that that when you have no more panemius in your in your world then everything is subject to our control so i've always kind of felt like, like you know that that on the one hand amalek was trying to establish a a a society that is under complete control of some kind of central figure maybe an authority figure maybe a hitler figure i mean i don't want i don't want to be you know i don't want to be um don't want to throw caricatures around, you know, with this, but, but apparently there, there, there needs to be somebody who is in control of this society and his control needs to be so total that there can be no panemius because the minute there is panemius anywhere in the world or anywhere in this society, then this society can be influenced by something that isn't the control of the central, of the central authority. All right. And that's basically been my 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 yeah. you know my the only the only I thing that really, which, which I the only thing that I really think. got me with that but, but hang on a second there's there's two things that got me with that the first the first point is however that okay so what does your society positively exist for if there's no panemius which is which is a major question I think in a lot of philosophy you can start with Nietzsche it would be it would be a good place to start digging for that and the other thing is that is that is that obviously like like we said you know Haman is a magician so he's a sort he's a sorcerer so he believes that there are non-material ways of influencing reality if you believe in that does does that not automatically require you to believe in some kind of in some kind of panemius and and if you and if you accept that as panemius then you have to accept that there's a you know that there's, there's ain safe there's worlds within worlds there's realities within realities and before and 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 before you know it you're saying so so and obviously that's the place where Haman doesn't want to go that's the place where amolik doesn't want to go but but they seem to have a, a connection to okay so, anyway. so I'll, I'll tell you my angle on so that's that, the I... that's that's the that's the paradox that i've always no, no, had, kind of had a okay, real so, difficulty okay so teasing I, I... out no, look, I love what you said about Brismila. What I said is based on the Tzemech Tzedek and Derech Mitzvah Secha. You can take a look at it over there and you can see on, on, on Mitzvah Mila. Uh, I like what you're saying as well. I think they dovetail together. What I'm yes, saying, I, I think what, what I'm yeah. saying is like this, that ultimately the Rabbi Shalom wants a Bria. And that Bria, as we know, as <laughs> let's use Eshlagian terms, is like the opposite of him, right? The ultimate, right? The, 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 the Nivroyim, are the makablim? That's that's basically even on the highest madrega, even if it's the madrega of anything that we call a nivra, 
is ultimate is a macabre, but God wants it to exist, and God gives it a, an existence independent of Him, right? Mm-hmm. If that's where Amalek Shirish is, that Amalek says, "Listen, you, I can fight you, God, because you want a bria, and if you want a bria, you want something that's not you." But that doesn't mean that it's not that it's that it's that it has to be touched, and that it has to be something you can measure, and it's something that only the only thing that works is something with physical existence. Oh yeah, there's souls, but souls aren't you, God, and therefore Amalek is this idea of there is no bittle to you where it's hiskalus with the ein Saif and everything. No, because in, if because for Bria to work, there needs to be another. There needs to be something beyond God. That's where Amalek is the Oyrif of, 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 of Erechanpin. Because mm-hmm. that, in other words, in Simpson itself, Amalek is there because Amalek understands, look, Amalek knows even better than we do because we sort of like operate within the, the halal and we, we do mitzvahs and we get simcha and eslavas. Amalek really is, 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 is like the madrega before that. Which is there's got to be symptom. You got God has to remove himself because God wants to create the other. And that's where I'm okay. You want the other? This is what you want, God? You've made us your equal because you want to have this nivra. That means you've you've in a way that's somehow eternal and powerful, and we aren't giving up. So really, yeah, whether whether it means mur- being murderous, evil, <laughs> destructive, okay, but that's that's all tethered in the idea that there's something which isn't God. And that's the highest level, really, when we even talk about the Zohar, talks about how creation exists, that's where Amalek starts. That's why he's racist Goyim. Now, in that right. way, um, so, uh, of course, Hamalek well, I have, steps into power. I have, raya, I have a shtickle raya to what you're saying, by the way. And, and once again, I think this also dovetails with what I was thinking of anyway, because it's because I guess it's Emma, so you know. Uh, the let's the, just pat ourselves with, on the back and just say that we are the greatest thinkers in the 21st. Century. Well, we yeah, we, we're pretty, we're 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 pretty sharp, you know. I mean, you know, you know All right, go ahead. You yes, know, we you know just find us at the five and ten dime store. You know, you can That's find right. us maybe at the local bar on on Wednesday evening. But um, <laughs> anyway, a, so I want the the opening the opening twins. of the desire. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Yes, I forgot. Hey, I forgot. Go of Gilufin. Go of Gilufin. Right. Right. So, so, so there's, you know, Bereish Hormanusa de Malka with the, in the original will of the king, Golav Gilufi, he engraved engravings with Tahiru Ila in the in the sublime purity, Butina di Cardinuta, through or maybe the Butina di Cardinuta was doing the engraving, right? Um, but Butuni Butuni, uh, what is it? Butina di Cardinuta. Butina di Cardinuta means the lamp of darkness. Maybe it means the extinguished lamp. Maybe it means the dark light. But the dark light is the thing that has to kind of like carve out the space of the Tsimsum. So it's it's you know, and this is this is the way that the Ariya Kodesh actually learned the the this opening passage of the Zoyar and it, it it's a chidush. It's it's really one of his one of his major right. chidush. Exactly. You know, because because I, I, other I, did not start with did not start with the principle of tzimtzum. Mm-hmm. And there's there's reasons for this we don't have to don't have to get into. No, I know, I, but, I I I I I think it's I think it's only with the gift of Lurianic Kabbalah that we can actually understand Amalek and understand. Sure. Right? 
Yeah. Because I, once you once you have once you have the dark light that is responsible for the for the symptom, okay. So that dark light has to operate on a mat completely materialistic level, because the symptom basically is the absence of any kind of divinity or the absence of any kind of transcendence. Also, right. So if that's so if that's the case within you know within the within the halal there is no panemius at least at least not at this initial initial stage. What there is is the dark light, and the dark light can do everything that the light light can do okay except that it does not break the bounds of the limitations of the of, of the symptom so so somebody like you know let's let's say a brilliant magician like Haman, okay can utilize the dark light filter you know kind of like moving it through his ego and using it to do things but without ever without ever learning from this, that there is such a thing as, as, as transcendence or panemius or, or his alus or going up or, or his kadrus or anything like that. So it's, you know, and I was thinking about, it, I said, you know what, I mean, look, you got plenty of, you have plenty of very dogmatic materialists in today's scientific community, you know, and everybody sees how gravity works. I mean, the gravity works. It affects, it affects any, you know, any objects with mass anywhere in, anywhere in space. You know, if you have, you have, you have two golf balls and that, let's say there was only two golf balls in the entire universe and they were both like a hundred million light years away, they would be attracting each other over, over, over space. So the fact that you are a dogmatic materialist and you don't believe in anything other than, other than material principles and electromagnet, you know, doesn't mean that you don't recognize the the effect of gravity. So gravity would you know would be in the in the in this kind of like Lurianic perspective would be an example of Butzina di Cardinuta. It would be an example of of what a dark light would actually be because and a dark light never moves you beyond the 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 framework of the of the of the material universe. No matter how complicated and amazing and wonderful it does, and you, you know, and they have the same attitude towards life. You know, what is what is life? Life is just a biochemical process, okay? And what is and what is consciousness? Consciousness is an epiphenomenon of of your of your mental activity or your brain activity. You know, so it's all so it's all in the brain. So basically you have these people who are just simply denying the most tangible you know, elements of, of some other principle operating in life that is not material. And I say, no, no, it's just a, it's just a, this, it's just a, that it's just chemicals. It's just processes. It's just gravity. It's just electromagnetism. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's all, it's all dark light. Right, 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 right. Even though, as you say, every single thing that you've mentioned is all forces that are really unable to really light measure, light. right. Which, which are in a certain <laughs> sense, which should point to a certain spiritual power beyond yeah there should there should point to something beyond the material body you know as, as if as if what is it that actually animates a material body and a, and a chemical process that seems to happen just because it happens that is complex enough to to bring about a abe kivalevich or a nosen glicor capable of having this conversation right i mean that that boggles the mind but nevertheless you know in in terms of black light yeah it's all black light whatever you know, I, I, so I, I, so yeah. the the Kiddush of the Kiddush of being a magician or a, sor or a sorcerer is that black light is everywhere, and you don't have to be a holy person in order to access it. You just have to be skilled. So sure enough, I can yeah, manipulate or, the black light, you know, and well, there you go. Well, well, look, we, we always can, know we we always know that that human beings there's things operating. We, look, we believe in nefesh ruach neshama chayichida now, which means that. And you don't necessarily have access to that in a conscious way, right? 
there, right. there, everyone sort of has a little bit of Naran Chai, but not everybody is really uh, understanding about Chai Yechido, how it's really operating and responsible in some ways for the arc of a person's life. It's quite possible, again, I, I, you know, it's possible that Haman operates on these two levels. There's two levels that Haman maybe is not even conscious of, of if he is, as we say, the Agogi, the Amalek, that the, and, and everything there is supposed to teach us about what Amalek is. And like I'm explaining the Rashi's Goyim, these might not have been things that Haman himself was aware of. You know, it, it's interesting, Chazal um, uh, point out that Esther is Beruach HaKodesh, right? What's the proof? Haman is the. Who else would know? Right, that's right. Right. Haman is the. How do we know that this is Ruach Hakodesh? Right. How do we? Because we get a glimpse at the Haman's brain. Right. Right. Not Esther's brain. It doesn't say Mordechai was thinking. It doesn't say what Esther was thinking. Right. It doesn't say what Akash mm-hmm. was But it, it, it's Haman represents the Panemius. Like, isn't that incredible? Right. Right. Haman, who is, again, whether it's the way you explain it or however it is, it's the fact that Haman's internal life is the proof that this book is indeed a book of holiness. And I think that's something yes. that, that's, uh, that is, that actually, that's a tremendous to hear that requires, you know, some Iyun. I say Torah Iyun, not because it doesn't make sense, but because it makes so much sense. It's kind of like, right. But um, it's like Haman's, oh. you, right, right, you think about like, it. Why should that be? Right. That's how we know yeah, Esther's yeah. Baruch HaKodesh never. It's also interesting, you know, when, when, when we can't, when we, you know, finishing this discussion about Haman, and obviously we could go on, you know, for a long time on this, which we can't. Uh, otherwise, you know, people have to listen to this at quadruple speed in order to be able to get that on their, you know, on their walks or whatever it is. But, um, but when we think about it, you know, you, you have, um, you know, the, uh, the idea of story is a story, right? As the Rishonim say, uh, the Rashba says in Brochos, the Megillah is Sipur Hama'ora. There, there, now, we know there's a rule for storytellers. A beginning, a middle, an end. And, as we know even from the Greeks, there's got to be a character arc. There's got to be an arc of a character. Now, may, maybe what I'm talking about is a modern sensibility. I don't believe so. I think if you go to the ancient uh, tragedies, uh, whether it's the Grecian tragedies, definitely in Shakespeare. But I would say a seaport needs to have a character that develops. You become connected through a character, right? The Torah is not necessarily a seaport, by the way. <laughs> the Torah is not a seaport. The Torah is, is mitzvos and other things. But the Megillah is a seaport. As a seaport, who is the character that, you know, you would say it's Esther, right? Esther is the character who goes through the greatest growth arc in some ways, right? I right? mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. Right. She starts off as just, you know, this, you know, this timid girl who's doing everything Mordechai says. She comes into her own. And she comes out the queen of Persia. Right. She comes out and, and, and she actually, you know, set, obviously there's a yin and yang between her and Mordechai. Right. But she's right. And, and she actually becomes such a force at the end of the Megillah, not only exposing Haman, but even uh, as the Jews are able to to achieve their victory. Right, so you would say, of course, Esther is really the story of the Megillah. It's called Megillah's Esther. So she's the one who has this arc. But I think there's an there's another arc here, 
and you know, there's Haman's arc as well, right? Haman is the other character who not only does he have the internality that we know what he says in his heart, but we're given, right? We see, oh, this is what I want. And now he's talking to his family and now he's, right? So, I mean, the, the pathos that you have to feel for Haman as he falls on the bed, right? Begging for his mm-hmm. life, right? So really you do have a character that you are connected to. It isn't just, I need a villain in order to care about this. He's also a POV. He's also somebody that you, 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 you follow him, right? You follow what he's going through, right? You, you hear about the chema that he has, as you said before, his, his pettiness or his ideas of grandeur, what he hopes. So and I think you do have these parallel uh, stories of Esther and Haman. And I think that one without the other, I don't think work. You know, you, you need to have both of them, and which is really unique, because normally, okay, who am I following? Is it Oliver Twist? Let me see how Oliver Twist starts as this little orphan and eventually somehow is able to turn into a young man that we can that we can love in Dickens' uh, novel. Here, I think what we have is, you know, the the the, the Haman and Esther story, and I think you know he isn't just right. Again, I would say in this way. Um, you know, Paro, you know, boo, hiss, Paro, ooh, boo, Paro, right? Okay, you know, Paro's got a lot of lines in Sefer Shmos, right? But, the, but I don't believe there's, you know, there's much of a character arc for him. He's basically beaten into submission, right? He's beaten right. in submission, and, and, and he basically goes back to, to his default mode, right? When he's, when he's chasing Claudius Rome, right? So mm-hmm. Chazal, yeah. might, Chazal create another story for him, right? He becomes the, he goes out, he becomes the king of Ninveh, whatever it is, right? Chazal have another story for the Paro. But, but I think, you know, Haman is really unique in that way, that he is someone who, um, you know, we are, we are given, we're invested in, whether we like it or not. And, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think in that way, you know, I, I think you need, I, I think in order to really, get the most out of the Megillah and really what Purim is supposed to mean, I think you've got to go through both of their arcs, you know, and, and that's why I believe, you know, when, when Chazal say, you know, Yoda, you know, Ben Or Haman, Baruch Mordechai, what do you, what is, so what are you saying? I'm saying Baruch Haman, right? Okay, you got I'm, it. I've, I, I, I heard that. I, I heard that from to be Makayim the Mitzvah of Purim to go beyond till you're actually saying Baruch Haman because you realize that you know, not only because well, because I, of Haman we did tshuva, but in a way, if Haman representing Simpson, Haman representing you know that that Madrega Bamolek, is really in a yeah. way a I bracha. Would, okay, I would I would I would say that the, the only way to really deal with Simpson is to look at it for what it is, and once you look at it for what it is in terms of being basically pure emptiness, so at that. At that point, you can you can uh, you can rectify it, or you can bring it up. You can make it part of the Torah. I mean, after all, a Molech is part of the Torah. You know, if if not for us, everybody would have forgotten about a Molech by now. You know, yeah. nobody knows who is a Molech. You know, we're the we're the yeah. only we're the only you know uh, uh, eccentric uh, you know people running around hating this a Molech that no one's no one's heard of in two thousand years. You know. That's okay. that's pretty odd, right? But I'll call I'll call upon him. The idea of the idea of of, of hating Amalek or or being moich Amalek means to say, let Amalek be what he really is. He's nothingness. 
Okay, so let's let's take away his pretensions of have, actually having something to say. Let's let nothingness be nothingness. Let positivity be positivity. And there's a there's a message that I always heard many times from the from the Belzer Rebbe that uh, that what's the difference between um, um, there's Zachar for Zachar is Hashem is Halachamalek and the Zachar is Yemeshabos Lekadre. What's the difference between the two of them? So this is so 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 this you remember over an empty table, and this you remember over a full table. You're still remembering both of them, and and in in that respect, you know, once Haman loses his pretensions to be something and really becomes nothing, then you know he's easily rectifiable. Then he, you know, then he can take his part as being being the the shadow or the or the or the remnant of the shadow of the Kisei Covenant, you know, or the, and which in, was very helpful in bringing the Kisei Covenant into being, but has exactly. now since been absorbed. Because without that, right. without that nothingness right. without that absence so, but if you right you have you without have no the absence you don't have the positive yeah but then if you give if you if you say starts going running running and going saying you know barahaman barahaman you're actually attributing substance to the to the to the absence and that's something that Chazal I don't think ever never advocated thus is my shot and anyway one can we can we can uh, we can disagree well, or not well I'll tell you just to end with that's one last point. shtickle from the Balshem the Balshem said that Amolek is And um, Pinchas Karitz was very, uh, used to press this idea as well, Pinchas Karitz. Amalek gives fakers. But on the other hand, without suffix, there isn't this podcast and there isn't what to discuss, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yes, Amalek creates the doubt, but Amalek also creates the possibilities, the fact that there is what to have a give and take about. The fact that there is an argument, the fact there's some, there's two tzadim, right? Every boyuhu is based on a suffix. We're not sure. And the desire to try to figure stuff out. So I think in that way, although it is an absence because it's an absence of clarity, it also is responsible for that bracha of being able to discuss, being able to parse, being able to filter, being able to take a little bit of you, a little bit of me, a little bit of the, a little bit of one aspect, a little bit of the other. That's all really a byproduct of being in a matzav of Suffolk, right? That's that's really the the the, the derech of of limud of Rabbi Akiva that Moshe Rabbeinu is so uh, so appreciated, uh, or really doesn't hop about what's going on, right? Because because it, it, it's only because of sfekos that we have that we have to like induce adduce ideas, go back from muuchar lamukdam, right? What we know, and then go back mm-hmm. before that. All of that is really a byproduct of suffake, again, and in many ways, and part of what perhaps you go back to the chayt of Eitz as well, because because now that our perspective is firmly rooted here, and we don't have like we're not just conduits of, of from where God is looking at things, we end up having to work backwards, and you know that could be a lot of fun, I think, and a lot of simcham. So on that note, we wish you, we wish you a, a merry sveikos. We wish you merry sveikos. We wish you merry sveikos and a happy Purim. To all of Am Yisrael. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 